Well, let me just put it out there. This message today has not been coming to me easily. It does not cause me ease or even comfort to give the title I have given it. And I hope it gives you dis-ease too. Uh, we've been looking at awakening ourselves and, and, and waking up to the needs and walking in God's ways and acknowledging the truth. And uh, one of the things that has been said about America almost my entire life, because it was the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran in 1979 who is the first documented one to say, to call America the great Satan. And he said it because he believed that America was guilty of imperialism and sponsoring corruption worldwide. And I have lived my entire life thinking he was absolutely wrong. We're not imperialists. No. What, what lands have we claimed that they have to give us allegiance? You know, we're not like imperial England who uh, it was said the sun never set on the empire. No, we don't own countries and run them for benefit. We just want to be left alone and Want to let everybody else, leave everybody else alone. But just because somebody's your enemy, and just because somebody is following a false teaching, a, uh, a false god, and a false religion, does that mean that they're always wrong about you? Isn't it, isn't it, doesn't it just bug you when somebody that doesn't like you knows you and says something truthful about you? Even if they're wrong about the specifics, they might get you to a, a point, and it just, doesn't that just bug you? Have you never had that? I've had it. I've had it more than my fair share. I might have had a few of yours. Where somebody just doesn't like you, they still can peg you and show you things about yourself you don't like. And it doesn't matter how much worse they might be. The question is, is, is it true? You know, even even from our enemies, even from those who would seek to hurt us, we can learn wisdom. And we can take rebuke. And we can try to walk in the right ways. And so, I've been wrestling with this claim of America being called the great Satan. And, and I, I in no way mean to say, oh, I think they're right and they're not wrong in any way. But truly, in, in imperialism, do we... You know, one of the reasons why he claimed that, and I didn't really know a whole lot of the history, uh, but apparently England and America had been working behind the scenes in Iran for decades prior to the revolution in 1979. And even when America, you know, recent history, in just the last 20 years, when we, when we invaded Afghanistan to uh, get rid of the Taliban and to get rid of al-Qaeda, the Afghanistan people and, and the, 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 the tribal leaders there, they wanted their king back. But America decided, no, we're not giving you your king back. You don't get to have him back. We're going to set up a, a person that we think we can work with. We're going to set up somebody that we think we can operate. We'll let them be in charge. 
we're going to set up a government that looks a lot like our own government. And we're going to create a military for you that works just like our military does. 20 years of that. And what, did, what happened in August and July? I really shouldn't even say August. What happened in July? How quickly did that American-made military get run over because it no longer had the support of American air power? How quickly did our puppet fall apart? Maybe the claim of imperialism, though it looks different than my thoughts on imperialism, maybe it's not all wrong. America, like every nation, has a history of trying to make things better for itself. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that for a country, but I think we need to recognize, and, and I'm talking about, I have always felt like we operated from, a, from a, a basic foundation of good, righteousness, the American way. And the question is, is, have we really, and is it really working well? Beyond just Afghanistan and Libya and Iraq and, and current issues of, of national policy with military force and things like that, one of the big complaints that a lot of the, the Arab world, and not defending them in any way, not making any arguments for them, just saying what the view has been, but that we have been exporting his sponsoring corruption worldwide claim. What does he mean by that? Well, before we had to hightail it out of Afghanistan, our uh, embassy in Afghanistan, in Kabul, that, that no longer has Americans in it, in June, it made sure to fly the pride flag, the gay pride flag. We have exported our morality to the world. Not just in things like that, not just diplomatically, but we have one of the greatest propaganda sources ever. It's in a little bitty town in L.A. called Hollywood. And there these humble people desire to spread a message of joy and love, but not really, do they? And it's not really a message of morality, is it? In fact, is there anybody here today who thinks that Hollywood desires to put out morally good movies or television? Have they gotten better or worse over your lifetime? Have you gotten to the point where you say, I just can't watch anything that comes out anymore? And you, you go back to the... And not, not, not that the old times were so great. They, they worked around things. You know, they, they used... Um, I remember this one movie, it was uh, called, uh, I think, Seven Men From Now, if I'm getting it right. It was a B-movie western, but throughout it, the cowboy and the married woman, she's in the wagon and he's underneath the wagon because it's raining. And, and there are these shots from her to him to her to him and, and, and their conversation or their thoughts. And, and there's nothing physical, but when a young film student said something to the director about that, the director said, yeah, that was quite the sex scene, wasn't it? Way back when, they just filmed it differently. What we did was we got rid of all the subtext and we just gave you, here it is. 
but they're pushing and constantly and not, they, they laugh at religious messages. They laugh at gospel messages. They ridicule those who would dare to try to put forward something that was biblical or at least moral. And it's always, what can we, how can we push the level next time? How can we do it a little bit more? How can we do it a little bit more? And then those movies are put out throughout the world. And if there are certain countries that don't like certain things, and they're big enough countries, we'll get rid of those things. But they won't get rid of them for us here at home. For thinking about how great we are as a country and whether or not maybe we do own up to the language of the great Satan. Recently, Texas passed a law saying that if a, a fetal heartbeat could be detected, you could not have an abortion. And because of that, in Congress this past week, there were hearings. And there was a, an OBGYN doctor from Dallas. I cannot pronounce her name, so I will not try. But she is an abortion provider, and she was talking about just how terrible the situation was in Texas now, that women's lives were at risk. She said, abortion saves lives. Abortion is a blessing. Abortion is an act of love. World Magazine's most recent issue had an entire article devoted to how abortion rights activists are trying to claim a moral high ground. And that's what we are hearing from a doctor. And that is what we hear from prominent position, uh, uh, politicians. They believe it is a, a moral good. I, I find it ironic that they can claim abortion saves lives. I can allow as how that if a child's birth was going to kill both and you were to terminate the pregnancy, kill the child to save the mother, that would be the only instance that abortion saves lives. That, that you were expecting to lose both and you only lost one. And that is, a, that is such a rare event that also was legal without Roe v. Wade. Doctors, if they needed to make a decision like that, they had the power to. But to claim that abortion saves lives when we know every time there's an abortion, at least one life is ended. And to say it is a moral good. To say that it is an act of love, that it's a blessing, tells you how depraved our culture has become. And what do we do about it? Do we even lose sleep over it? Jesus Christ, since 1973, close to 63 million abortions have been. If that's including the, the pills that they can do nowadays. You don't even have to go into a clinic. Go to the pharmacy, get the pill, go home. So maybe they're, I don't even know if they're counting those. And I ask you, a country, you know, it's one thing to kill other people. I think it's another thing entirely to kill yourself or your own. Especially when you're the one person on earth who was chosen to provide 
protection and nourishment to carry to term and to help raise an infant. Men are not given this opportunity. And yeah, I'm not saying non-menstruating people. Men do not have the opportunity to carry children to birth. Only women. And only one woman is chosen for that child that is in her or those two children that are in her or those three children that are in her. Only one. And we have come to the place. Now there are other countries. China will force an abortion on a woman. Russia, USSR, would force an abortion on women. We are supposedly a godly people. And we have created a culture where we celebrate not just depravity, but we celebrate the opportunity for the one person given by God to protect a child. To rip that child out of her body and to kill it. And we've been doing it since 1973. Do you really think we can keep going that way and keep considering ourselves a good nation? A righteous nation? We, we can look around the world and say, I see a lot of people that are worse than us, but do we? Do we? I don't know. So maybe as, as, a, as offensive as it is to see uh, Babylon the Great with the words the, the great Satan in front of it and know that we're talking about America. Maybe that hurts us a bit, but maybe we need to wake up and open our eyes and look at ourselves and to recognize we haven't always been that great. Yeah, we've always had sin. You know, I, I was thinking last week about that 1963 Baptist Faith and Message and how that's a document I... I look to and I like, and yet I have to remind myself, it was written in 1963. What else was going on in 1963? What were those Southern Baptists who voted for that Baptist faith and message, what were they doing in 1963? Were they welcoming African Americans into their churches? Were they walking and marching with them? Were they saying we need to have equality? Were they saying we need to desegregate the schools? No. Those wise people that wrote that document were probably the ones that saying. They just need to keep in their place. They just need to know where their place is. The wise people that wrote that document, some of them, maybe a lot of them, were putting hoods over their heads and burning crosses in their free time. We have not been a great nation, although we can look at things, and I, I grew up in a way that those things were not part of our lives. So I didn't realize what was going on. And we're not, it's not unique to us. You know, in, in, in Revelation chapter 18, we have the image of, of Babylon the Great. The, John says in verse 1, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a, prison, uh, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her morality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the 
for sensuality. And, and you know, that's, that, I'm not saying America is Babylon the Great, because Babylon the Great is greater than America and greater than any one nation. But you can see where we as a country participate in her ways. We have become drunk on the wine of the passion of immorality, committed acts of immorality, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Let's face it, sensuality sells. Morality and prudence does not in America or anywhere because of the fallenness of mankind. And so we see a picture of ourselves depicted there, an idea that we with. Of course, it's greater than we are. But we live and we walk in that same spirit. And if, as we look at America, the land of the free, home of the brave, we also need to look at America and realize we've done a lot of damage. I mean, just recently we're seeing an, out of Afghanistan beheadings and uh, amputations of arms and Treatment of people, people that trusted us, people that believed us, people that joined with us. And when we said we're bugging out, we said we'll bring you with us. And then we didn't care who got on the airplanes. We just wanted to make sure enough people were on the airplanes that we could say, we got them out. And we left our allies to die. And we left our allies to be punished, to be tortured and killed. Home of the free. Land of the brave. Makes you wonder sometimes. And, and we've been having those kind of struggles for a long, long time. I think about America today. I'm reminded of a passage out of Ezekiel chapter 16. Uh, Ezekiel's talking to the nation of Judah about the coming destruction. That they are going to be judged. That they are going to be taken away. And... and their problem is worse than Israel's above them, uh, called Samaria in this case, and other nations that have gone before them. And, and he's writing to cities. So Samaria is the city of Israel. And he, he's writing to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the city of Judah. And even writes about Sodom, the city of the south. But he says in, in, in verse uh, 46... He says, now your older sister is Samaria, who lives north of you with her daughters. That means like the little villages around Samaria. Israel, the nation of Israel. And your younger sister, who lives south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations. But as if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. As I live, declares the Lord God, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. This is quite the claim for God to say to Jerusalem and to Judea, the, 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 the kingdom of Judah. Judah was the kingdom that he held on to when the northern tribes he, he, he judged Solomon. He broke off ten tribes. And he made another nation. 
But he held on to Judah and to Benjamin, and he said, these, this, these tribes are going to stay here, and, and they're going to have Jerusalem, and they're still going to have a king on the throne who's a direct descendant of David. Because I, I love David, and I'm not going to hurt David to the point where he throne altogether, but his descendants were those and those other ten tribes. And so those tribes went up there, but Judah was the remnant, you might say. And Israel immediately fell into idolatry. Immediately, their first king set up a, a golden calf in the north and a golden calf in the south, and he said, worship here. Don't go to Jerusalem to worship. Worship here. And he led them into idolatry. And after many years of that, Israel, the, the nation that Samaria was the capital of, eventually was taken captive and destroyed. And that has already happened by this time. And of course, Sodom, calling her the younger, uh, this is more just about you know, placing her in the middle so that the focus is on her, on Jerusalem. But also, Sodom lived many years ago, many centuries ago. They have not been around for a long time. They're a byword in Judah. You wouldn't even talk about Sodom. They are the kind of place that, that is such a, uh, a picture of destruction and God's judgment. You, you know, just don't even mention it. And for him to say Israel, or excuse me, to Judah, you're worse than Sodom. That's bad. But he says, you didn't just walk in their ways. You have, you have gone beyond what they did. You acted more corruptly in all your conduct than they. The, the issue for them is, look, you've had warning. You guys have talked about Sodom's destruction ever since you were a nation, and I gave you the book of Genesis. You saw Israel and what happened to them, and yet you went their way too. You went into idolatry. You went into chasing all the other kings. You went into, and the chapter prior to this, there's a lot of talk about how, how Judah lived and how it sought after lovers everywhere else besides God, who was supposed to be to them their husband. You've become worse than Israel. You've become worse than Sodom. You've walked in their ways. And remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about walking in the way of the Lord. And, and which ways do we walk? And, and to walk in a way means to live. Do we live according to the world, or do we live according to God? Do we walk in the ways of God, or do we walk in the ways of the world? Our country was never established as a religious country, or as a theocracy, or anything like that. It was not founded as a Christian nation. It was founded as a nation predominantly made up of Christians, though. It was founded by Christians, but with the freedom to worship allowed within it so that people did not have to worry about, am I a member of the right kind of church or am I a member of the, of the right kind of religion? But they were, they were Christians that came up with those ideas. And as we as a nation have decided not to walk in those as we as a nation have not, because the freedom that we have, you cannot keep without faith. And as a, we as a country have said, we no longer believe in God. As we as a country have said, we are gods and we can do what we please. And that's what you hear. If you're not hearing that when you hear the politicians talking, you need to really work on your hearing, because that's generally what they're saying. We can do as we please. We can print as much money as we want. 
We can do what we can call what we want to be moral. We don't need an outside source telling us what is moral. Whatever we want to do together, that's a moral thing. And as we've done that, honestly, can you tell me today that America is walking according to righteousness as a nation, culturally and politically and geopolitically as far as with other nations? Are we, are we operating as a moral good? Do our, our, our friends trust us and our enemies fear us? How are we doing? I don't know about you, but I I am pretty sure America is walking in the way of wickedness. We delight in it as a nation. Now, you might be sitting there saying, I don't delight in it, and okay, but we're talking about a nation. There were always the remnant in Judah that didn't walk in it too. Some of them got carried away into captivity of Babylon. One of the guys' name is Daniel. He didn't do anything wrong. He followed God and he still got taken out with a fish hook through his nose. I don't know if he was the one. That was the description that they were going to be taken out with fish hooks. America as a whole is walking in the way of wickedness. That's why you see pornography being peddled to children in school and it's being called sex ed. That's why we see movies coming out that are so full of vile filth. It's it's becoming painful. There's not a movie or TV show made today that does not have its obligatory gay character or gay love story. And it's not an attack on homosexual people. My desire is not to attack individual people. My desire is not to, to point fingers and say problem because they're not as a nation goes we see well and we'll get into this that we'll see that the the immorality grows and the abominations grow even with i'll speak very strongly against abortion that doesn't mean that a woman who had an abortion will not find love and grace but we need to acknowledge it for what it is a wickedness an evil that we allow in our midst and we don't even bat an eye anymore America's walking in the way of wickedness exceedingly. In fact, in in verse 49, he continues and he says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease. Now, does that sound like any nation you know? Where we pay farmers not to grow food? You've got to have a lot of food if you're willing to pay farmers not to grow food. We have so much food. They they make um, uh, comparisons between American trash cans and the trash cans throughout the world. Uh, American trash cans are large compared to the trash cans of Europe. People in Europe are amazed at how much we throw away and, and how much food we're willing to let just rot. People all around the world are amazed at our waste. Got to remember where I was. <laughs> but we have, we have abundant food and careless ease. And like Sodom, it says, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty 
and committed abominations before Me. Therefore, I removed them when I saw it. And, and this is what we're getting at. They're, they were... Uh, they were arrogant. They had abundant food. They had careless ease. They were relaxed. They had nobody attacking them anymore. They were living uh, peaceful lives. They had prosperity. They were undisturbed. And even though they had all that going for them, they did not help the poor and needy. And that word help is to strengthen. It doesn't just mean to give them something. In America, we think you give them something. Let me ask you something. It was LBJ, was it not, that had declared war on poverty? Are we winning that war? Or is that war going like all the other wars we get involved in? The war on drugs we've given up, we're starting to legalize them. We've not had a desire since 1945 to fight to the end a full war. Korea, we didn't want to fight further north than we had to because we knew they were backed by the Chinese. Same thing with Vietnam. Backed by the Russians and the Chinese. We haven't had a desire to fight a full war. Did we fight a full war against poverty? No. It was a wrong-headed idea from the beginning. Do we help the poor in any way? Are the poor getting out of their poverty? Or are more people finding poverty in our country today? Does it help just to give people a check? Does that strengthen them or weaken them? It's not just that we would help the poor and needy, but that they, we, we would strengthen them. An immoral country says, let's just get more poor people in here. Let's open up the gates. Let's not worry about it. Let's just get more people, poor people in here. Let's keep the poor people poor and let's start giving them stuff so that they'll stay poor and they won't learn how to not be. And you get entire generations and the next generation that grows up not knowing how to save, how to invest, how to plan for the future. Not even how to work, but just how to rely on a monthly payment. That is not help. That is not strengthening. I would say that is the opposite. We would do better for the poor if we stayed out of their lives. Thus, they were haughty and committed abominations. Do you understand? The abominations come after the pride. The abominations come after the pride. The pride starts, and then they commit the abominations before the Lord. Now, you go back to Genesis, and what did we see? All we saw were the abominations. But we've got to recognize that those come after. Is there a reason, do you think, I'm sure there has always been people that have struggled with same-sex attraction throughout the ages. But do you think maybe there's a reason it's so prevalent today? There have always been people who have had the mental illness where they felt like they were the wrong human being, that they, their body was wrong. There are people with mental illnesses that believe that they should have an amputated arm or leg. We don't cut it off for them. We treat their mental illness. But today, it's very prevalent, is it not? And in fact, it's been growing over the last five years astronomically. Transgenderism, especially among young women in high school and middle school. Do you think it's something of an aberration that is happening now, or is it possibly the outflow of our arrogance as a nation? The haughtiness with which we live, the ease that we have, that we are now committing these abominations. 
And yet, we, because if people in our nation are doing it, it's because we are, as Paul said in Romans, not just allowing it, not just participating in it, but giving hearty approval too. And so you have churches change their tune. Churches now that are fully on board with homosexuality, they're, they're welcoming churches. They say, well, I would hope we would be welcoming, but I would also hope that we would say we're not going to declare what God has said is uh, sin righteous. We'd rather give you the truth. And the same thing should go for transgenderism. It's a mental illness. People need help with that. Majority of people, when they have gone through a transition, they almost instantly regret it. And the doctors that are supposedly caring for them aren't even giving them proper counseling for it. We are so arrogant that we think we know better than God. Remember, who knit you in your mother's womb? Before human eye ever set eyes on you, who knew you? Who knit you together? Who formed you in the darkness? For us to say God was wrong, how arrogant can we be? And so uh, what we're seeing is that even though we can point to individual people and say this or that, Sodom's sin was corporate. Judah's sin, even though there were most likely people in Judah who were good and righteous and were disturbed by the sin that they were seeing, the sin was corporate. Everybody was held accountable for it. And the same is true for any nation today, even America. We can't sit back and say, well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not with that. No, when, when the other countries see us, when they see our movies, what do they think? They think all of America agrees with those images and those messages that are being put out. Because the sins of a nation are corporate. We share in those sins as, as a part of being a part of that nation. Whether we like those sins or not, whether we agreed with a decision that was made, we share in it. As much as it pains me, what we have seen over this past summer in Afghanistan, we own that. If you're an American today, you own that. You can't say, I voted for the other guy. It doesn't matter. That's our president making those decisions. That's our military making those actions. We own that together. If an Afghanistan person were to find you and say, how dare you leave us? All we could do is say, I'm sorry. We did. It's my fault. The sins of a nation are corporate. We're a part of it. We can't just ignore what's going on. But you know what is really bad to Judah? As bad as Sodom is, and Sodom has always been held up, I mean, we have words based on the word Sodom. Sodom has been held up as, as the epitome of wickedness. And then in verse 51, Furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, for you have multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus you have made your sisters appear righteous by all your abominations which you have committed. That, that's harsh. Samaria did not commit half of your sin. For you have multiplied your abominations more than they. You know, he's talking to Judah. The, the righteous nation. The nation that's given to you. The nation that Jesus is in the lineage of. 
And here's the thing. that He says that they, Samaria did not commit half their nations because Samaria was taken out earlier. Judah saw it and still went that direction. And you could say the same thing today, that, that of those who are, are righteous and those who are wicked, it, it's a sad thing, but the righteous sin worse than the wicked. Consider the, the, the Catholic Church and its abuses and the Baptist Church and its abuses and how quickly churches try to cover up the abuses within it. Guess who you don't see covering up abuses? Secular school districts. Places that have kicked out that have let all sorts of depravity in. You know what? One thing they're not going to do is try to cover it up when a school teacher is doing something wrong. It doesn't even have to be a school teacher with a student in their own school. If it's a school teacher with a student in another district, in another school, it doesn't matter. They root it out. How awful is it? You had the Me Too movement, remember? And they're, they're now I'm not saying it was always righteous and they're, they're willing to get rid of people though. It didn't matter who the important man was. If somebody came forward and said, all of a sudden, they treated him like trash. He was worthless. We don't like him. He is a criminal. Get rid of him. Cancel culture, right? As bad as that is, I don't know which is worse. Cancel culture or cover-up culture. The church had cover-up culture. Telling the victims, just be quiet. Just go away. I think that's worse. And I, I, I think part of the reason why the rich, righteous sin worse than the wicked is because the righteous knows better. The righteous know God. And they know what His decrees are. The wicked uh, even though they know, you know, he's put knowledge of himself in their hearts, they don't know him as well. And so when we get to and we do it even worse than they do. But Paul even points this out to the Corinthian church. He says, you're doing things that the people want to even do. Those, those sinners in your midst who are outside of the church, the world doesn't even behave the way you're behaving. That's how bad you guys are. And so as we look, as we're a, a moral, and I truly believe for the most part, America has tried to stand for a moral good in the world. And the, the, the sad irony of that is that because we have, we are set up all the more for failure and to sin because we became arrogant. Superpower. World's policemen. What do they call our president? The most powerful man on earth. How can we not become arrogant with such terms used so freely about ourselves? The righteous sin more and sin worse than the wicked. That's what he's telling us there. And so what do we do with this? You know, if I go back to Revelation chapter 18... After talking about fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, in verse 4, John says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. Come out of her, my people. Now what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we need to leave America? 
that we need to find another nation, maybe uh, set up something in Antarctica because most of the other land masses are taken care of and are just as wicked, if not more wicked, than America? I, I don't think that's necessarily what we're talking about. Now, he's talking about come out of her, my people, out of Babylon the Great. And I think that's the issue, that spiritual power. Do we separate ourselves? Do we come out of that spiritual our world and our country is operating in? Do we recognize it for what it is and say, I don't want to have any part with that? Are we willing to take a stand and to speak up and to say, this is wrong? Or do we just kind of go along to get along? And we accept the immorality of our nation. Maybe even adopt it in some ways. Which is what some churches do. To where you, you don't see any difference between those that proclaim Christ and those that are outside of Christ. What do we do? I think come out of her is not so much, although, uh, you know, there's plenty of pictures of that, right? Lot leaving Sodom and, and the angels say, don't look back. And when his wife looks back, she's turned into a pillar of salt. Uh, we have Pilgrim's Progress where Christian is in the city of destruction and he must leave and his wife won't go with him, his children won't go with him, but he knows he has to flee and so he runs out of the city of destruction. And so we have pictures of people physically leaving, but we're talking about that spiritual power. And I think that's what it is. Not that we need to physically leave necessarily, although maybe God calls some of us to do that. I don't know. But how do you see yourself? This has been the tough one for me. I grew up with the plan to join the Marine Corps and be a Marine and serve my country. That was my identity. My dad was a serviceman. Both of my uncles had served. Both of my grandfathers had served. That was my identity. So this has been very hard to get to the point where I think, ouch, maybe, maybe America isn't so morally right after all. Maybe I need to wake up to the fact that we're doing a lot of wickedness, that there is a lot of wickedness within our midst. What do we do about it? Do we just go along? Do we fight for it? Do we try to take back America? Revelation says, Come out of her, my people. The power of Babylon the Great. And I think that's what it is. Not that we need to, to physically leave, but that we, we do need to separate ourselves from this world power. Emotionally, spiritually. Recognize that we are not Americans, necessarily. Oh, let, me, let me put it this way. We're not Israelites in Israel. We're like Israelites in Babylon. We're here to seek the good of the nation, to do the best we can for it, but we need to recognize this is not our home. That because we are Christ, we are the other. As we are able to, that we must separate from the wicked or else suffer their fate. Because that's what he's saying. Get out of her. Get out of her, my people. Don't participate in her wickedness. But also, the second part of that was so that you will not receive her plagues. 
so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. That's what he's calling us to, that we would not suffer the fate of those we are with. That he would guide us and protect us. We might suffer the fate to a certain extent. But we need to separate ourselves from the wicked. And that might look different in different people's lives. Maybe that means what we watch. Maybe that means the things we say and do. Maybe it just means a mental and a heart attitude change where we recognize, no, I can't defend everything America does. No, I can't apologize for everything America does. In fact, I need to be in a position where I say that's not right. Where I say, no, this is what God calls us to and to call a nation to repent. To call the people around us to repent. Not to let them keep going in their ways. Not to join them in their ways. But to separate and to call them to repentance as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray, Lord, that You would give us wisdom in how to live today. Lord, we might have been living our entire lives with blinders on. We, we might have been living all this time with blindfolds, seeing only what we wanted to see. Maybe, maybe rose-colored glasses would be the better analogy, that, that we see only good and we don't see the bad. And yet, you, you call us to wake up and to, to, to deal in truth and to walk in the light. And we live among people who desire the darkness. And we are drawn to the darkness by being with them, Lord. I pray that you would give us strength and courage to separate ourselves from the wickedness whether that's in what we watch and the activities that we participate in. It's the organizations we do business with. How we talk with the people around us, Lord. I pray that You would help the church in America to be a light. That we would not go along with the world, that we would not go along with those powers that say abortion is good and a moral right. That do not place their pride in their homosexual behaviors. But Lord, that we would have hearts that are broken by the unrighteousness around us. By the sin that our country that we that was built on such promise of, and, and based on the principles of, of you as our creator. Help us to not go with them. Help us to stand for you and for righteousness, and for our faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be witnesses, to share our faith, to share our hope. We ask and pray these things today, Father, in Jesus' name.